Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run, walk, drive, fly, whatever with the real Game Changers, you're absolutely in the right place. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, one of our very longest-running Game Changers series. Happy to be here. Hope everybody is staying safe and well. Let's look at our opening quote here. It applies to our topic today. It also applies to life as we know it in March 2020. This is the last day of March. Here we go. I have a quote from Helen Keller. Alone we can do so little, together we can do so much. Let's just let that sink in for a second. Now let's look at it from a business perspective. The pace of change in industry has forced companies to focus on their core competencies, very, very true today, and select partners for specific digital expertise. Why? They need to achieve mutually beneficial industry innovations with the key word on mutually beneficial, the key focus. Here are two examples. Enterprise software companies today are partnering with, with cloud hyperscalers and industrial equipment manufacturers are partnering with data science organizations. So, question on the table for our global listeners. How can your organization, your company, your industry, your firm, your startup, whatever you're doing, how can you innovate in new ways beyond the enabling technologies? We talk about those all the time. Internet of Things. That's the title of this show. AI, artificial intelligence, ML, machine learning, and blockchain. We don't have alphabet super blockchain yet. To support your product development and go-to-market activities. I have three experts. This is part three of this topic. We've done it a couple times before. Let's see. We did this in on uh, May 15th, 2018 and October 2nd, 2018. So it's been a little while. My special guests today are Nicola Zingraf-Bolton of Bolton Consulting. We have Don Deloche, Rocket Wagon Venture Studios, and Matt Jennings at SAP. So welcome. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Now we're going to go around the table and have each of my guests introduce themselves. So Nicola Zingraf-Bolton, welcome back. I hope everything's good with you wherever you are in the world. And why don't you, Nicola, in case somebody doesn't know who you are, which is impossible, just in case there's one person who doesn't, why don't you reintroduce yourself? What do you do and what is your passion for our topic today, digital transformation, enabling technologies, and new partnership model predictions? Welcome, Nicola. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you very much for having me on the show again today. Um, Delightful. I am... um founder of Bolton Consulting. I work in the transport logistics industry for uh, over 20 years now. Uh, my background is originally in logistics, so I very much understand all the processes that are involved to fill the supply chain, to bring the food from the farm all the way to the store and into each household. I've been working with um, process optimization, optimizing the supply chain elements, the transportation and the logistics elements. I've been working with fleets and OEMs and helped them to integrate new technologies like telematics, IoT, connected sensors, connected devices, and make commercial sense out of their applications. Because it's, um, there's a lot of technology that is available, but not every integration really makes sense. So um, helping them to filter out what is important mm-hmm. and what is really going to make a commercial impact for their businesses is what I do. 
Thank you. I'm Nicola had, from Germany. Yeah, okay. I want to ask how you got involved in this field. It's fascinating. Please go ahead. Yeah, so I'm, I'm originally from, from Germany. I've been working in uh, Europe for many years in many different countries, introducing telematics, for example, for the trailer industry, which is very cargo-focused and where it really comes right down to the shipment. If you order something on Amazon today, you want to be able to track the shipment all the way through. And this technology, this telematics, really it carries one of those big information pieces to connect the information from the origin all the way to the consumer. Thank you very much. Here in North America. Yep. Sorry. Nicola, how is business these days? Still good, but we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. I know. I know. One quick question. Can you... you, I think the demand is still high. Good. Can you explain the word telematics? I'm always curious about that, and then we'll move on. Uh, Don, you're going to be next introducing yourself. Go ahead, Nicola. Yes. Well, telematics um, is composed really of the remote, the tele part, remote information from machines is um, what telematics does. It collects sensor information, logical information, simple as GPS or door opening, which are from refrigerated vans and brings this right to the office desks of those in control of those transports to monitor. Thank you very much, Nicola. Pleasure to have you on board. Always lovely to talk to you and always inspiring. You're so smart. Thank you. Let's move around the table slightly to Don Deloach. Don, welcome back. It's been a little while since you've been on radio with me. I'm so happy to have you here. Don Deloach, I'll say the same thing I said to Nicola. In case there's somebody around the world who doesn't know who you are and what you do, let's pretend. Start introducing yourself, please, and tell us what you do, what your company does, Rocket Wagon Venture Studios. I'm always intrigued with the name of your company, Don, and what's your passion for this topic about new partnership models. Go ahead, Don. Uh, sure. Thanks, Bonnie. Um, so, yeah, I'm Don Deloach. I'm the uh, uh, co-founder and CEO of Rocket Wagon Venture Studios. Uh, basically, for the last 20 years, I've been in a CEO role leading uh, venture-backed companies. For about the last 10 years, I have just become very, very passionate about IoT, um, and mostly from a data perspective. But uh, I've really spent a lot of time both from a work and then from a non-work standpoint in terms of various affiliations I've been involved with in in groups and and efforts all around IoT. So it makes me fairly one-dimensional, but I'm kind of okay with that because I am very passionate about kind of what what a connected world means as we go forward. Um, And I, I guess in the last year or so, I combined my passion for IoT uh, with my experience in terms of being in, in venture-backed companies, and we formed Rocket Wagon Venture Studios, which is a venture studio model. Uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, uh, a venture studio is a group of entrepreneurs that form a team of seasoned, multidisciplined entrepreneurs who have kind of been there and done that in the startup world. And uh, the the venture studio will curate or accept new startups into the venture studio where the team forms an extension of a given company and helps them get to commercialization. The, uh, the best metaphor I've been able to come up with is if you think about an incubator, which almost everybody understands what that is, mm-hmm. as a college dormitory, and you think mm-hmm. about an accelerator as med school, where everybody's going to classes and workshops and everything, that would be sort of tantamount to an accelerator. 
a venture studio is kind of like the residency program where you get out of formal training and you go into a period where you're surrounded by people who have been there and done that to help you find your way. Uh, about 90% of startups fail, but what's an interesting note is about 70% of startups fail in years two through five, and that is most definitely tied to execution risk and issues. Mm-hmm. And so I think the model is one that can be um, really effective, and our approach is all about IoT. So our, our focus is to try to uh, you know bring forward IoT startups uh, successfully uh, to reach commercialization. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed hearing about that. I have to mention that you wrote a book in June 2017, which is almost three full years ago, Don, called The Future of IoT with co-authors Emil Bertelson and Yael El Rifa. I hope I said that right. Have, have you seen in three years, Don, how much in terms of change have you seen? Did you predict that future accurately or were you in the ballpark three years ago? Um. <laughs> Yes and no. Okay. Uh, I started writing that book in 2014, and it was a thesis I had around around the role of data as IoT went forward. I guess it was probably a function of being so focused on data for most of my career. Uh, We're seeing a progression towards what we articulated in the book, um, uh, especially with the rise of edge computing as as sort of a key uh, point in the overall architecture for IoT. And the role of data people are focusing more and more. So the, the thesis the thesis articulated in the book, it, we are starting to see definite progression towards it. I would have thought it would have been much faster. I think realistically understanding the impediments from a cultural, structural, and, and you know people standpoint make it understandable that it hasn't moved any faster than it has. But... Um, we're definitely seeing it move in the right direction. Uh, sadly, much of what we articulated in the book is is really, you know, almost as valid today as it was three years ago. I, I would have hoped it would have been less valid by this point, but we're seeing all kinds of progress in, in what I think is a good direction as people begin to appreciate the importance of architecture in the context of IoT. Thank you very much. I hope you don't mind my asking the question. I just thought it was very, very interesting, Don, to see no, because we're all. Thank you. I'm I'm glad it was. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna invite you to come on my other show, the Technology Revolution: The Future of Now, and talk about the studio concept. I think it would be fascinating, especially in this time. That's all I'm gonna say. So thank you, Don. Matt Jennings has been waiting so patiently. Matt, we'd love to hear from you, and I'll say the same thing in case there's one human being on the planet who doesn't know Matt Jennings. Shame on them. Matt, welcome. How have you been? And why don't you tell us what you're currently doing? Go ahead, Matt. Hi, Bonnie. I've been great. Thanks again for having me. Pleasure. Uh, I'm with SAP in that role. I'm the global vice president of what's called Intelligent Enterprise Solutions. So ultimately what that means is we're driving innovation and business process efficiencies um, by business outcome focused and leveraging technologies such as IoT, AI, analytics, machine learning, cloud, um, and we're focused on integrating products and services with those technologies to provide these efficiencies uh, to customers. Do that across about 25 different industry groups and across seven regions uh, around the globe. Ultimately, when you think about IoT and our role, we look at IoT and devices being connected, and those devices are producing data, and as an enterprise organization, 
we need to consume data and apply that to the enterprise. So we see it as that simple uh, in how we go to market. So that's the summary of, of what we're doing. Thank you very much. What's your, your passion for, uh, for our topic today? Let me ask you that, Matt. The concept of going beyond digital transformation using enabling technologies, and we'll talk about those, but the idea of new partnership models, what do you think? Are, is there a new energy? Is there a surge in, I'll say, creativity as far as cooperation, co-pitation, co-innovation, co-leadership? What are you seeing? Well, I certainly think that that there is. You know, my first connected device was over 20 years ago. And in Mm. those days, you had to be really smart about how you connected and trying to understand the nuances of not only enterprise software and how you were going to use the data, but also the embedded development that happened on a device and understanding the protocol layers and network communications and the transfer protocols. Those things got really complex. You needed to understand that. If you fast forward to today... There are partners that are really, really good and strong about understanding embedded development on devices or protocol translation. We don't necessarily, as an enterprise organization, have to be smart about that. We can partner with those companies uh, that are really, really good at that and have a good go-to-market strategy with staying on top of that. And that's what's really driven is to really rely on the expertise that's in the market and not try to house that expertise ourselves. Thank you very much. Appreciate that, Matt. Glad to have the three of you on board. You all sound well. Let's go through. This is part of the show where my guests have sent me an inspirational quote, a provocative quote, a quote from a movie, a book, a song, a person famous or not so much, and they're going to relate the quote to our topic today. So, Nicola, we're going to start with you, and you sent us a very interesting quote from a 1959 campaign speech by the late John F. Kennedy. And the quote is, when written in Chinese, the word crisis is composed of two characters. One represents danger, one represents opportunity. I'm just going to stop there, but Nicola, I have to tell you that I I Googled the quote, and there are a lot of meanings for that second character in addition to opportunity. It also includes systems consisted of parts, something like that. A lot of interpretations there, but great quote. When written in Chinese, the word crisis is composed of two characters. One represents danger, one represents opportunity. Nicola, how did you pick this quote? What in the world does it have to do with our topic today, please? Um, I think it has a lot to do with our topic because um, change always happens in those times when people reach um, a level or a plateau where they realize it's not so easy to make the next step in evolution so or evolution of their products and services that they offer. So recognizing this necessity for change um, seeing this big unknown world of IT and data science, which still scares a lot of people. And as Mm -hmm. Don just said with with his book prediction, um, yes, he was surprised that it hasn't moved as fast as he had anticipated. And that's the same experience I make too. A lot of times people see like, we have to change, we have to adapt, we have to jump onto this new technology, but how? And it's scary and it's, it's um, it's the unknown territory, and um, recognizing this more as an opportunity to create something new and bigger and greater than what they have been um, working with so far. I think that is always a challenge in reminding ourselves that we have to take these challenges that we recognize always as an opportunity because there will always be another path. It's up to us to create this path in the best possible way. 
I like that way of thinking a lot. Thank you, Nicola. I was thinking many of us are used to people saying, I have a problem. We have an issue. And then you escalate that up to, we have a challenge. Challenge means something that can be met head on, possibly, and solved. And then turning that challenge into what is our opportunity to solve that challenge that problem. I always like to see it on that positive side, bring that energy. I used to have a friend who would say, we've got a problem, we've got a problem. I said, well, what what are the challenges and what are we going to do to solve them? Not just sit and look at the problem, let's move it ahead. Thank you so much, Nicola. We really appreciate the quote. That's one from JFK I've never heard. So thank you for that. Don Delosha sent us a quote. We love this quote from Mahatma Gandhi, Mohandas Karam Chand Gandhi, 1869-1948, Indian lawyer, anti-colonial nationalist, political ethicist, and Mahatma means venerable or great-souled in Sanskrit, first applied in 1914 to him in South Africa. Here's the quote. We love this one, Don. You must be the change you wish to see in the world. Don Deloche, great quote. How does it apply to our topic? Uh, okay, so uh, people around me hear me use the word I or use the phrase IoT as a holistic proposition all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some ways, you can you can make that as as technical as the discussion about IoT architecture. But but if you actually think about it on a broad scale, when you're when you're connecting you know things throughout the world, you have to if, if you're going to optimize if you're going to get the most leverage uh, from it you know, regardless of the constituent, you have to start thinking in terms of a holistic proposition. And, and when I look at that, I think, um, I think in terms of the ecosystem, and I think that that means you have to look beyond yourself and your organization to a broader view. It means you have to welcome ideas, you have to welcome capabilities, and, and recognize that, that this is moving so fast, you're never going to understand everything. You've got to rely on, on the ecosystem. And, and as it relates back to the quote, I, I think it's, it, it's along the lines of you have to care enough to look, then you have to care enough to form an opinion, and then you have to align that with what you want to do. And I think a lot of us are inclined to sometimes opine on what's wrong and hope that somebody else comes along and does something about it. And look, I don't in any way think, you know, I or, or almost any single person makes that tectonic shift. But what I do think it speaks to is the imperative to be authentic about what you're doing. If you really believe this, you, you just have to live it, and it has to be a part of who you are. And I think that, in a nutshell, describes why I think this relates to what we're talking about in the progression of IoT, and, and in, in specifically in terms of how you have to think about partnerships. Thank you very much. Appreciate that, Don. Very well. Well, very well said. Words to live by. Matt Jennings has sent us a quote from, I didn't recognize the name right away, Matt. You spelled it out as James Cash Penny. And I looked at it said P-E-N-E-E-Y. I knew that is. James Cash is J.C. Penny. We used to call him Jacques C. Penny when I lived on Long Island. Have you heard that one, Matt? Jacques C. Penny? I certainly have. Yes, I bet you have. James Cash, J.C. Penny, 1875 to 1971, American businessman and entrepreneur who founded the J.C. Penny stores. Interesting, he started working for a small chain in the western U.S. called the Golden Rule Stores. How interesting. And he was offered a one-third partnership. He invested $2,000, moved to Wyoming, opened a store, and eventually they had... 34 stores in the Rocky Mountain states. I won't read the whole, but it's very interesting. The Great Depression left him in financial rule, but he continued active management in the stores. And interestingly enough, you probably know this, J.C. Penney trained a young Sam Walton, 
Uh-huh. On how to wrap packages with a minimal amount of paper and ribbon. We'll leave it there. Here's the quote. Growth is never by mere chance. It is the result of forces working together. Great quote. Matt, how does this apply to our topic, please? Well, Bonnie, as I started thinking about uh, this topic and presenting with you again, uh, it, I reflected back early in my career, in my consulting part of my career, in a retail initiative I was working on. And a consulting partner at the time was presenting about how do we approach this. And that quote was actually in his presentation, as I recall. Mm. So I did some research on that and found it. And I think it, the situation when it was first proposed to me was that we need to understand the complexity of a situation and apply the right tools, people, companies, partners uh, to solve for it. And we need to have enough awareness to accept what we don't know and rely on partners in what they do know. And so that will allow us to, to move the needle, if you will, forward on you know, change. Thank you very much. Let me ask a quick question before we dive into We're not going to take a break. This is just too good. I like the momentum. Uh, Nicola, Don, and Matt, in terms of the topic we're covering today, digital transformation, enabling technologies, and new partnership model predictions, we're, we're talking about, we're predicting a little bit here today. My question is, how do you embrace the enabling technologies, bring them in, adapt to them, adopt them in your company, and at the same time, look for these new partnerships that will help you add to what you already have. Is that an either or? Is it something you do at the same time? Let's just make this into a a two-minute lightning round around the table, and then we'll get into your statements. Nicola, what's your thought on that? Um, I I basically really integrate it. It's, It's just a necessary part of it. If I want to adopt a new way of doing things, I have to look for who can be a natural part of this, who can be an ideal partner to contribute to this complex task of, of um, yeah, creating this, this new um, disruptive business model around this new technology, for example. Okay, let's go to Don Deloach. What's your thought? Are they either or, one before the other? Do you get the technologies and then get the partners to help you operate them, run them, uh, enable them? What's your thought? We're together. Uh, I, I think it's both. We're, we're changing we're changing on multiple dimensions simultaneously. So whether you're talking, whether you're delivering energy or transportation or, or medicine or whatever, whatever your business is, and, and specifically to all of the technology that supports this, um, I think you have to be looking for what are the, what are the relationships that are emerging that will allow you to move forward as an organization without being left behind? And then what are the combinatorial technology elements related to what you're doing that become an imperative to helping you get there? And I I think you have to be doing both at the same time. Thank you. Thoughtful answer from both of you. Matt Jennings, join us. What's your thought? Either or, which comes first, the chicken or the egg, what crosses the road? Or do you get the technologies, find the partners, you get the partners, and then embrace the technology? What's your thought? I think it's a little of both. You know, as we look at our business solutions that we drive into market, we quickly identify what about those solutions are we really good at? And more importantly, what are we not good at? And we need to go look at the partners and find out who is really good at that component piece that we need. And that could be, you know, IoT connectivity as an example, or that could be, you know, hyperscaling uh, in a cloud environment. But I think you need to do both so you can achieve the, the desired outcome in the most efficient manner. 
Thank you all. Very interesting answers. Pardon me for the sidebar, but I wanted to get that straightened out before we dive in. Nicola Zingraf Bolton, I'm looking at your discussion statements you sent me before the show. Let's start with number one. I'll ask you to expand it for about two, two and a half minutes, and then we will invite Don and Matt to add their comments, agree or disagree. So Nicola says, unlikely partners continue to form new solutions for the transport industry. And she gives an example, the Smart Trailer Initiative. The Trucking and Maintenance Council brings component suppliers together with heavy-duty vehicle manufacturers, axles, brake systems, trucks, lights, all become connected to increase efficiency and prevent downtime. Nicola, why don't you tell us a little bit more, please? Yes, so um, the Smart Trailer Initiative has um, become um, a very complex um, endeavor because there are so many parts. If you think of a truck, if you think of a trailer, um, there's there's a lot of components um, that go in it as a, as you just read out. It's, it's axles, it's brakes, it's all these different elements. Each part is really necessary to make sure that on a large scale, the supply chain continues to flow and to be um, to to work seamlessly. So, um, partially taking from my John F. Kennedy quote originally, they see well we're really good at what we're doing with these components that we provide today. But we also recognize that if we just keep doing this and don't look left or right, we will get ourselves into serious trouble. So we have to make our components smart. We have to connect them. We have to make them accessible. And we have to make sure that they not only make sure that this actual truck or trailer runs smoothly and without failing, without breakdown, but also that it can deliver one of the missing elements into the into the transportation process as such, which a truck or trailer is designed for. So these these um, manufacturers are now looking, well, we're really good at making these parts. We're mechanical engineers. We're already struggling with having enough capacity with electrical engineering, but now we're looking at IT and data science, and this is just so far away from the original business that they um, look at partnering with, with other manufacturers, with, um, with um, Silicon Valley data science companies to make sure that they can translate this technology into, into data bytes that can be plugged into platforms, into ecosystems, and contribute their part of, um, for example, take a load of strawberries. You have strawberries coming from California to a um, grocery distribution center. We have to make sure that not only that the temperature of those strawberries is right, we don't want to receive them frozen. Nobody wants to buy damaged fruit. Um, we also want to eliminate that there is any unnecessary returns of those shipments because that creates more traffic, creates more costs, returning the food, destroying the food, etc. Um, but also on the technical side, we want to make sure that the truck doesn't break down on the way there. If there mm-hmm. is a technical issue, we want to recognize it before any incident happens that can um, prevent that load of strawberries from arriving on time. And Thank you very much. And, and good quality. Uh, yeah. Yep. Bring this information in. Very interesting. Thank you. I want to get Don Deloach's comments on this. Don, join us. What do you think? Nicola had a great example there. I think I think she's dead on. I mean, just if you just step back and you think about the various elements, again, on a holistic level, you're looking across the supply chain, 
their considerations around global standards, whether it's from a shipping standpoint or uh, the use of distributed ledger technology, uh, the the role of the OEMs and the and the um, the capabilities that are being put into uh, the the vehicles um, have to be aware of what's going on from a from a global standard uh, consideration. Uh, there are uh, and it goes it extends to things like intermodal considerations. So it's not you know it, it's the trucks, but it's also the uh, the shipping, um, it's the ports, it's the first mile and last mile considerations. All of which may be changing underneath our feet as we speak. And then it's the use of, the sharing of, and the governance of the data that's involved there. And, and that, that has far-reaching implications, but is, it's really critical. And then the last thing would be there, there is going to be an emerging role for not just a government, but, but intergovernmental interaction in terms of, you know, how do we, how do we you know, bring this forward? How do, how do we uh, deal with the data uh, across boundaries? What, what's the regulatory involvement? What happens if we don't do it right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is a big, huge ecosystem of considerations, all of which, if done well, increasingly makes makes it better. I mean, the, the, the efficiencies and the cost savings and, you know, all, everything that we aspire to can can get there. It's, just, it's, just, it's going to be difficult, and I, I, would, I would suggest that the biggest issues – have little to do with the technology itself. It's more the structure, the organization, the people around it that try to come together to, to bring this together. That is a great point. Thank you very much. We always like to bring it back to people. Thank you, Don. Matt Jennings, join us. Thoughts, please? Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, the enterprise systems uh, are requiring more data and more information. So the more components that are connected and sharing data, you know, the better for the enterprise environment. So the example of delivering the strawberries, you might think we just need to know the location of those strawberries and maybe the quality of those. But you think simple things like a customer service standpoint or a quality standpoint. But it goes to things like compliance. Uh, the systems want to know, you know, what are the idling minutes of that vehicle uh, while it's waiting to be loaded? from a CO2 compliance standpoint. What is the driver behavior? So from an HR system standpoint, can we objectively evaluate hard brakes, rapid accelerations, speeding, those types of things? So now the systems have the data to be really cognitive about how they manage the business and recommendations they make about how to provide those strawberries to market with human capital, with physical assets. Um, You know, how that is displayed across the environment is becoming more and more intelligent. Thank you very much. Good conversation around the table. Uh, Nicola, I'm going to move on and pick a statement from Don Deloche's list. Don, I have some interesting comments here from you. Let me go with statement number one. You say, we need to be careful with how we evolve regarding cyber-physical transformation. The key issues will be, and this comes up a lot on this show and any, any, many of my other Game Changer shows, Don, data ownership, data stewardship, data privacy. There will have to be guidelines to ensure we don't create instability and polarization. Big concepts there. How does this work with not only enabling technologies, Don, but the partnerships? How do you how do you have that trust of data privacy, data stewardship? Don, interesting topic. Talk to me, please. Yeah, sure. Uh, all right. So sort of in a nutshell, I'm, I'm going to work backwards. I have this conversation a lot with friends of mine about the role of AI and machine learning. And in the, in the IoT space, a lot of people are viewing that correctly in some ways 
as kind of the holy grail. You know, we've, we want, ultimately, we want adaptive systems, and that's what AI and machine learning are delivering. And, and, and while that's true, the, the models are only as powerful as the underlying data set. And the underlying data set is a function not only of curating that data across the enterprise correctly, um, but then considering the various constituencies beyond the enterprise. So, so just foundationally, I have to, I have to, I have to have organizationally the capability to understand, you know, what are the chipset choices? What are the security choices? What are the communication choices? You know, how am I setting up my edge tier? How am I coalescing this data and, and curating the data set so I truly can contextualize the data, augment the data, and have the most robust data set I, I can possibly have, but then what do I do with it? And that's where the governance comes in. That's where the, the data stewardship, data ownership, data privacy considerations um, are handled. And that's where, by the way, that's where the edge, um, in terms of the edge tier where you're consolidating and, and, and persisting and curating data becomes really important because, and, and I'll, I'll use an example. Let's say you have a fast food restaurant and you have 35,000 of them around the world mm-hmm. and you're, you're, uh, taking hundreds of, uh, of uh, IoT-enabled devices per restaurant and you're absorbing and, and curating that data, now all of a sudden I have, um, I have low-fat fryer data, I have refrigerator data, I have grill data, I have you know, all lighting data, HVAC data. So I, I put that into a data set and I use it for the franchise owner or I use it for the, the regional headquarters or the, the, the corporate headquarters. But, but the manufacturer of the, of the low-fat fryer or the refrigerator or the grill also wants that data. The uh, supply chain partners uh, the, the, uh, in, in my ecosystem also want that data. The regulators probably also want that data. Mm-hmm. The, the temperature reading coming off the, the grill is the same temperature reading that makes its way into the data set and then gets propagated to a variety of different constituents, either in atomic form or in a derived form. But the, the message here is that what we, the data we have, and, and, and we in this equation is are all of the constituents within an ecosystem, the data that we have and the, the AI and machine learning that we use to leverage that data is only going to be as powerful as the underlying data set. And until I think in terms of the holistic use of this data, how I, how I absorb the data, how I curate the data, and then how I govern who gets that data, why do they get it, and what do they do with it, that's what's required to truly optimize. And so you really do have to think in terms of a, of a broad ecosystem, and, and then the, the trick is to approach ownership, stewardship, and data privacy in the context of what's the, what's the optimal approach in the context of the ecosystem. And again, this is a this is a five-hour conversation, but that's trying to boil it down for the basics. Thank you very much. Very interesting, uh, Matt. Talk to me. What do you think? Well, I, I agree with Don. Don and I have had this conversation many times over the years, and I think once the data is received, you really have the opportunity to liberate that data across the enterprise or enterprises. And there's as many consumers of, of that data across the enterprise as there is data to consume. And so when you start relating it to other system data, so if you take, you know, restaurant data as 
Don had mentioned, and you start relating that to someone who manages the assets or manages maintenance or the facility or overall insurance coverage, you know, you can start to liberate it across the organization. And when we've done this in the past, you think you have an initial idea of how that data will be used by the, by the stakeholders. Um, you start to search across the organization and have those interviews about if the data was available at, at for free, how would you use this data and what would you relate it to? We've gotten to the point where we've interviewed like 55 to 56 people across an organization that all have a need to consume the data. Now, in different flavors and related to other data sets they're currently working with. But once you start to look at the data, you start to understand, as Don mentioned, the governance of the data, the robustness of the data, the quality that the data needs to, to have to fit into the system. Uh, so I 100% agree that I think the more data that we have and are able to pull in, the mm-hmm. smarter we need to be about applying the right tools and analytics and applying it to the right business requirements inside of an enterprise. It is very complex when you start to think about how you need to consume the data in the varying ways you can provide uh, or analyze the data uh, to be consumed. Thank you very much. Nicola, join us, please. Good conversation. What do you think? I think um, the, um, one of the big challenges is though, expanding on, on, on what Matt just said, that um, gathering as much data as possible and make it available for those different requirements depending on which stakeholder needs this information. Um, I do see, though, that there are quite a few stakeholders who understand, yes, we do have to, to some degree, share data about the, the, the privacy concerns at the same time to protect their trade secrets and their um, mm-hmm. business intellectual property, if you want, um, is, is pretty high there, too. So being able to, yes, share data and participate in receiving that part of the data that's important for their particular part of this ecosystem, if you want, that they move within, but at the same time, be sure that um, they don't share more than absolutely necessary in order to protect their unique, unique position in this combination of stakeholders is, um, is, is a concern for companies that um, is not easy to, to address because you have the different layers um, of participants who uh, require this information, but at the same time, who do I share how much with and when and for how long? <laughs> you want. This is, um, is a big challenge to also show that, yes, technology can also provide the security for each stakeholder to just share what he really needs to share as a minimum at the same time and protect um, his inner workings. Very interesting. That's a, Don, there's a fine line there. Isn't there a balance of what you share, what you give, how, you, how open you are with the partnership, how you protect your, your own IP, your intellectual property? Don, how, how much are companies aware of this balancing act, this fine line, uh, if you will, walking on eggshells in, in what they put into these information systems? Don, just quickly before we move on, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I mean, some are more aware than others. That's sort mm-hmm. of a statement of the obvious. I, I think the issue comes when IoT is still relatively new to a lot of companies, and, and, and I'm, I say that you know, new meaning like 2014, 2015, you know, some large companies start really leaning heavily into it, but it's evolving over time. I think the issue comes when business models, are based on data ownership and, and, and monetary leverage of the data where the under, underlying ownership and governance aren't really known or, or reconciled ahead of time. And that creates problems. 
Uh, overall, though, I think that the, these are the type of things that as the market, as the market evolves, these issues will begin to become more front and center, and they will resolve each other, both in terms of ownership governance and especially how we treat privacy. And, and I guess I'll make one more comment here. Mm-hmm. The biggest risk of all is if we fail to recognize the enormity of the value of data as we move forward in time, and we end up with a situation where um, the vast majority of data is controlled by an oligarch of, say, you know, nine or ten companies, that will destabilize, um, you, you know, the, the, way, the way our overall global systems work. We have to be thoughtful about privacy governance and ownership or else we could go in a very bad direction. I don't think anybody, even in the ones in the largest companies I'm thinking about, I don't think anybody really wants that to happen. But if we're not careful and thoughtful about how we approach this, this, this challenge, we can end up not implementing it or, or not moving forward in the way that is best. Thank you very much. Good conversation around the table. We needed to cover that. Let's look at Matt Jennings, your statements here. We've covered a couple of them. Let me go to your statement number four, Matt. I think this is interesting. You say business outcomes, not engineering objectives, are now driving partnership models. There is a broader focus on ROI, return on investment, that is forcing organizations to combine efforts on design and delivery. Matt, tell us more, please. Unpack this, as they say on the news. Well, I think, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, my first connected device, even before it was called IoT, was over 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then it was more of an engineering initiative. Can we connect? And if we connected, what would we do with the data? So it was a bit of a an engineering initiative and a solution looking for a problem to solve. I think as technologies has evolved, uh, the tool sets, the cloud environments, you know, those have all matured to the point that it's shifted from being an engineering initiative to being more of a boardroom strategic discussion to say, look, we need better data, we need secure data, we need to make sure we have the right governance, all the things that we've been talking about. But now it's about, you know, how do we capture the data in the most robust way to make decisions in our business? And so there's that dependence on those partners who as we've talked about, the the edge level or the protocol management level or the device connectivity and network level. We don't necessarily need to be experts on those. Let's focus on the business outcome, and we'll work with the right partners and tool sets to help deliver that to meet the requirements of both technical requirements, economic requirements, and the business requirements. And that's going to require a broad view to look at who our partners are that we can take into the future with us as we drive uh, the business discussion. Thank you very much. Nicola, let's get your thoughts on what Matt just introduced. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's, very, it's very important. And as Matt just says, it's moving now finally from, from the engineering more into the boardrooms. The engineers have now figured out how can we actually make our product smart. Um, and they have very successful solutions out there now. But um, I see a lot of companies are really coming to a halt there and say, like, well, we've got pilots running everywhere, and everyone's very amazed to see so much information coming from vehicle components, for example. But um, how are we going to transform this? How are we going to turn this into real orders? How are we really going to build um, an additional va- um, um, uh, value stream for our business? And... Um, this is now really becoming one of the, the big challenges where companies come back and say, like, how can we um, 
or, or how is the strategy? How does our strategy have to be? Are we going to use these connected um, features of our products just to enhance our products and just to stay in the market? Or are we really able to build an additional revenue stream to uh, build a completely new product? And it very much depends on how strong is your use case. Where do you root yourself as a company? Are you still an automaker, for example? You will be perceived as an automaker. The market will not easily believe that you're starting to fix operational IT problems for them. They perceive you as an automaker. So um, this fine line of deciding how is this connectivity, how is this IoT um, connected world really going to be part of our, our overall strategy as a company? This is becoming a, a really important uh, um, discussion to, to have. Thank you very much, Nicola. Don Deloach, love to get your thoughts on this, please. Uh, sure. So I, I 100% agree. It made me think of... Um, going back to like the mid-80s and thinking of manufacturing scheduling, there was an Israeli physicist named Eli Goldrat who came out with a, a manufacturing uh, scheduling solution called OPT, and it was based on the theory of constraints. And especially in U.S. manufacturing, the, the emphasis was on, you know, making the new machine that, that we spent so much money on utilized 100%. But it was just building up uh, inventory, and it, it wasn't really achieving the objectives. And Ellie Goldrott had came out with this idea of the theory of constraints, which was basically optimizing holistically to achieve the right outcomes. And, and he actually wrote a book along with a guy named Jeff Cox called The Goal that was a story, but it was meant to, ex- to really explain the theory of constraints. And it, it, it became somewhat of a, um, uh, you know, a legend in, in its own right. And Ellie Goldrod is certainly um, a, a key figure in terms of, of, of that. But it, when, I, when I think about that and I think about what Matt said, I think it's the same thing. I think it's looking holistically at the ecosystem. You know, look at, look at what we're trying to accomplish overall. And the fact, as, as you said, it requires partners across a broad view. So you can't just think in terms of, you know, what does my individual entity look like? But what does the world around me look like? What do I want as outcomes? And then what type of partnerships are, are required in order to get there? Thank you very much. Interesting around the table. Matt, anything you want to say back to Nicola and or Don? No, I think, as usual, they said it better than I could have said Good Good conversation. Thank you. We have time. Oh, we're about three and a half minutes away from our crystal ball predictions round. Nicola, I'm just going to bring up one statement I think is very relevant for where we are today. Again, if you're just tuning in, well, the show's almost over. It's March 31st, 2020, and we're in the middle of a global pandemic. So Nicola's number three statement she sent me says, dark stores with consumers increasingly demanding online grocery shopping and home delivery offers like Instacart, Amazon for Retailers are forced to go new ways to stay competitive. Traditional grocery chains are creating dark stores. I never heard that term before. To provide custom grocery shopping for the consumer while outsourcing the physical activity of shopping. Well put. Nicola, just briefly, uh, how is this working out for them? And uh, Nicola, I have to tell you, when you were talking about delivery of the fresh strawberries, I was thinking if I did pick up at my local, we have beautiful Harris Teeter about a mile and a half. My family told me not to go into the store anymore. So if I 
do an online shopping and I go to pick it up, who's going to pick the best strawberries, Nicola, to go into the bag for me? <laughs> Outsourcing my shopping is not just pick up 1% milk. I want blueberries that are not smashed and crushed. And this goes back to the whole supply chain we're talking about, Nicola. Are all the strawberries, are all the blueberries in that store in good shape so that they'll always pick a good one for me? Nicola, quickly comment on this. I think it's fascinating. Go ahead. <laughs> Think well, about I, it. I can just, just as a quick as a quick remark, as a private consumer, I can tell you, I've always been very lucky so far with any of these experiments that we've been doing privately with Instacart and Co. <laughs> um, the strawberries and the blueberries have always been in really good shape, and they did not pick like the the grotty ones. They picked the really good ones for me. So. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. I didn't mean to make this comedy, but this is real life. Don, have you had any experience with getting the best if you're doing online shopping and, and curbside pickup? Don, any thoughts on, on who's picking your, your fresh vegetables and fruit? I, I can honestly say I have not had a single thought about that, but I'm still <laughs> running to the grocery store, so maybe I'm slow to change. Okay, well, we, we, hope you're, we hope you're safe and you're distancing. Pat Jennings, any thoughts about that? I, I, Nicola, I actually never thought about outsourcing the physical selection of our groceries, and it couldn't be more spot on. Matt Jennings, what do you think? Are you there? Are you, are you in that world yeah, yet? What, I, I am partially in that world, but I will say I think one point of interest there is we have a, uh, a bundle of solutions that we put together called Responsive Supply Chain so that these organizations can respond quicker to the demands of the customer, but also mm-hmm. the demands and changing environments of their supply chains. Uh, and so it creates a lot of visibility uh, to change gears in days as opposed to weeks yeah. or months. That's what we need. A lot of, lot of changes. I just spoke to my daughter and son-in-law last night. And they needed to have – it was time for pet grooming for one of their two puppies. I have two adorable grandpuppies, Australian Labradoodles, and it was time for Jake to get washed and groomed and shampooed. And the deal was that they drove up to the curb outside of the groomer's location and the dog was lifted by a person out of the car. My son-in-law was told, don't get out of the car. Don't go near us. They took the dog inside. One hour later, the freshly groomed and shampooed and, and clipped dog was delivered back to the passenger seat or wherever they were putting the dog in the car. And that was it. So it was curbside delivery. And that's what companies are having to do is stay in business, provide your service, get creative, make sure everybody is safe. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that creativity to stay in business for essential services. We all know dogs need to smell good and look good, and that's the way it is. So, and be healthy. So now it's time for the crystal ball predictions round. Uh, predict anything you want as long as it's not political. Our topic is digital transformation, enabling technologies, and new partnership model predictions. There's that predictions word. Nicola Zingraf Bolton, you're up for 60 seconds. What's coming? I don't even know if we dare predict out to 2025. Nicola, how, how far out do you want to predict? Tomorrow, next week, end of the year. Go ahead. Nicola, 60 seconds. Go. I think in the next years, um, we will still see a lot of companies here struggling to monetize all this um, IoT investments that they have made. Um, not every product, not every um, solution is really good at becoming a connected solution and being turned into into a new um, feature and a new business stream. Um, and we will see a lot of companies really having to make this tough decision. Are we going to remain what we are today or do we really want to venture into a completely new field of our mind? 
Thank you very much. Which I think is the biggest challenge for companies in the next year. I think you were right. And Don Deloach, 60 seconds, what have you got? Sure. I I think in in probably two years, it'll look somewhat different, more partnerships, somewhat different models based on combining basic elements in anticipation of what we intuitively know are coming in various uh, industries. By five years out, I think it will be a lot different as we begin to see more and more decentralized, distributed um, uh, systems. And those trends are going to be emerging in force. And I think by 10 years out, it'll be hard to recognize. Highly ecosystem-focused vastly changed models, uh, which will include heterogeneous device interaction, which we're just not there today. But by definition, as we begin to approach heterogeneous device interaction, it requires thinking holistically about how we live in this tightly integrated um, uh, or, or tightly connected world um, that goes beyond just sort of the the, the more narrow scope that we think about today. So, it, so it, in in all cases, we're progressively going towards a holistic view that requires a different view of partnerships. Thank you very much. Good to have that holistic word in there. Matt Jennings, you get the last word. Well, almost I get the last word. Matt, what's your prediction, right. please? <laughs> Go ahead. I think, we'll con- I think we'll continue to see an enhanced uh, focus on core competencies. And as we focus on core competencies in streamline business processes and create efficiencies and enhance communications, extract costs, all of those things, there's going to be more of a reliance on partners for things that are not in our core competencies. And I think those partners will begin to get more specialized. And I think we'll probably see, you know, a consolidation of companies uh, to acquire technologies, expertise, skill sets that they don't have to be more efficient in providing those those solutions or those services or those products to companies that are truly focused on their core competency. And I think that ecosystem will just be part of doing business uh, going forward, more so than it is today. Thank you very much. I have so much enjoyed speaking with the three of you. I always learn so much when you all get together. Nicola Zingraff-Bolton at Bolton Consulting, Don Deloche at Rocket Wagon. I still love the name of your company, Don. Rocket Wagon Venture Studios. We'll talk. And Matt Jennings at SAP. I still love your company, too. (laughs) I have to do a shout-out to two people behind the scenes who made this happen, brought everything together, Dana Corder and Marsha Malinowski. And, of course, uh, and they, they helped to put all these episodes together. And, of course, Ira Burke at SAP for renewing. This is Season 7 of Internet of Things with Game Changers. It continues to be one of our most popular series with our global business audience. And thank you to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire at voiceamerica.com. Aaron, thank you for coming to work and being there for us. We need you. Be safe. So here's my call to action for everybody in the world. Fasten your seatbelt. Be safe. Be careful. Be smart. Be well. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Nicholas and Graf Bolton, just like Don Delos, just like Matt Jennings. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great day. Be well. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. 